Sainstorming, brainstorming sane ideas for a complex world. No fluff here, just quality, thought-provoking content. Hello, welcome everyone. Good to be back. Settling back into winter, at least for my listeners that are here on the East Coast. Getting dark early, getting cold. I think we even saw some flurries the other day. So yeah, let's um, buckle up for another winter and spring will be here before you know it. Interestingly enough, I'm going to come back to the weather um, in a while, actually towards the end of the podcast. Okay, I wanted to continue my last session's topic, and I'll tell you why. Last time we spoke about this mild depression or dysthymia, we discussed how common it can be and how you can actually remedy it. I got a lot of feedback on it, so as always, I see you guys are the ones that are actually in charge here. So I kind of decided to give it somewhat of a sequel. I say at least somewhat of a sequel. You'll see in a moment. Anyway, I'm going to read you a comment I got. And by the way, I just want to tell you I love comments because it means to me that you're with me and that we're communicating. That means everything when it comes to this podcast, the communication, uh, and we're on this journey together. So the comment I got was like this, hi, love the podcast. Can you talk more how to differentiate between dysthymia and full-blown depression and elaborate more on the treatment option? So the truth to be told, I just want to say, I was saving full-blown depression for a different time. And, you know, there's so much to talk about that. Uh, It's probably like a you know, a whole, it can be a whole slew of podcasts. But my listener has an excellent point that contrasting the two, depression and dysthymia, might be helpful in identifying symptoms and treatment and stuff like that. So let's let's do that. Let's, let's go there and um, I can do a basic overview. And, you know, at a later time, I can go much more in depth. We can do that too. So let's try to make it as short and sweet as we can and give the kind of the, the basic uh, overview that I was looking to do. Okay, so first of all, let's talk about the differences between the two, the differences between depression and dysthymia. Secondly, we're going to discuss some telltale signs of each, you know, their symptoms. And finally, how about their treatment for each, which, by the way, a lot of these overlap with each other on several levels. Okay. So those that of you that listen to episode six, you all know dysthymia is more of a mild, constant depression that sort of festers over time. Technically, I really should check up the DSM criteria. Um, I think the criteria is even two years uh, for dysthymia. Now, the truth is I should not check up the DSM criteria because the new DSM has a whole different way of talking about dysthymia. They don't even call it dysthymia. They call it something else now. But by the way, okay, for those out there that are not familiar with the DSM, it's basically the code book that classifies symptoms, the cluster of symptoms, and various diagnoses. And it's really the, what should I say? It's the book, the code, the book of law, so to speak, for the mental health field and clinicians and basically for insurance companies. It's really interesting, actually, how it has evolved over over time and how it changes from 
from time to time. That in itself becomes a whole interesting topic because you're talking about, about this DSM criteria telling us about all these mental disorders, but they seem to shift and they redefining uh, things. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why that happens. And, you know, it's definitely not a medical book like any other medical book, a cardiac, you know, if you're going for a cardiac, it's, it's just, it's just, just interesting. And, uh, you know, so in some ways it's extremely useful. And in, in my opinion, in some ways it's, it's really completely worthless um, and useless. I mean, that's my opinion, but that's all you're going to get when you listen to me is, is my, my opinion. But anyhow, let's go back to our topic. And uh, generally speaking, a person can function with dysthymia. It's not like the sleeping all day type, the way we think about classic depression. Depression, on the other hand, is a lot more intense. I guess, for lack of a better term, intense, yes. Often there's a lot less functioning. There can be some weight loss or weight gain for that matter. Um, depression can also be shorter lasting. A person can have a depressive episode for two weeks, and it can be considered a depressive episode if they meet all the criteria, obviously, when dysthymia is much longer duration. So let's move on to the signs or the symptoms of each, and let's try to contrast the two together. So again, hardcore depression, if I can use the term, is a lot more, well, depressing. You know, there's often a lot more crying going on, a lot less functioning going on, excessive sleeping going on. Now, I want to point something out to you. If you're listening to this podcast, it's more than likely that you do not have some kind of major depression. I mean, you could. You totally could. But my guess is, I'm guessing probably not. Uh, the reason I say that is that major de depressive disorder, it's no joke. In other words, you know, we, you and I, we all th throw around terms. You know, we throw around our terms, oh, depressed, he's a depressed soul, this is so depressing, right? And that, that's what the word means, depressing. But in the, when we talk about clinically a major depression, it's, it's a scary, painful, and it's a, it's a very debilitating state. So I say this, chances are somebody who's depressed is not really listening to this podcast. They're probably not doing anything. They're probably feeling very, very hopeless. But it's quite likely that someone out there, some, someone of my listeners, may be the loved one of someone who's depressed or a friend, a close friend. You see, the sad reality is, like I said earlier, more than likely with depression, you're not going to go see the sufferer running for help. It's going to be a family member or a friend that literally has to make it happen some, somehow. And it's very, it can, it, I mean, the frustration, it's enormous because everybody wants to help and you have somebody who's suffering and just refuses to help themselves. That's often the presentation. And if you've ever been in this kind of situation with somebody that you know, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, the pain and the suffering of, of the, the people that are trying to help, I mean, that's a whole different talk. It's, it's, it's devastating in a different, a different kind of way, but that's, that's not today's scope. Okay, but in contrast, dysthymia, the individual may be functional. They may hold a job. Uh, they may feel sluggish. They may have a harder time smiling. 
sometimes not really wanting to face the day. It's that different kind of presentation. You can understand also how the time is different. You can have a major depression for two for two weeks. You can have a consistent being down has to be over a longer period of time. I mean, if a person is just down for a week or two, that just means he's in a slump. You know, he's uh, something's going on and he's in a slump and he'll get out of it. But on another note, it's very important for me to point out there are three different kinds of depression or dysthymia. A lot of people don't go into this direction so much. I do try to really assess for this while I'm working with somebody with depression. And I call it the three C's, actually. So I'll list them and then explain to you as we go what, what I mean by them. So the first category I would call is chemical depression. We have circumstantial depression. And we have combination depression which is essentially a combination of the first two. So let's go back. Chemical depression, uh, I would say, these are not clinical terms, by the way, but chemical depression, I would say that can branch off into two subdivisions. Uh, it could be biological, be a lot of biology, biology that's causing the depression or being a factor, playing a role in the, in the depression. It could be hormones. It could be, I mean, there's a whole slew of things it could be. Um, it could be genetics, right? Depression can have a genetic component. So we have that chemical depression. It's more of a physical, I guess, sort of way of looking at it. Then we have the circumstantial depression. Circumstantial depression is basically because of the individual's circumstances for X amount of time, he is reacting, he or her. I'm always saying he. I guess it's because I'm a he. But him or her are will react in a certain way and that way could be depressed and circumstantial can be a lot of different factors we it could be financial can be can play a role all different types of stress it could be a job so that's what circumstantial depression is and then we have the combination depression which is basically a combination of the first two you can have uh, people with a tendency a predisposition to some sort of depression and because of circumstance x they're more prone to having depression in that situation i mean listen i'll tell you i know people financially struggling and they are depressed and they'll say that they're depressed because of their finances, and I'm not, I'm not doubting that. But then you have rich, very, very wealthy people that are depressed, sometimes miserable. And then you have the vice versa. You have, you have people that are very, very low income, and they are happy, happy-go-lucky, maybe stressed sometimes, but they are happy people, right? So it, it's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just interesting how it all comes together. But the reason why I mention these kind of these three combinations, these excuse me, these three C's, is because I make it a practice take that mental note and try to categorize it. And there's a whole host of reasons why I do that. I'm not going to get into them, but what I will say is I'll, I'll tell you one reason is because it can affect when you're comp coming up with a treatment plan. There are certain treatments that you'll lean to towards more based upon what we're talking about, what kind of, uh, which C we're dealing with. So let's get into now the treatment. 
All righty. The first biggie is called CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. This can be used for both depression and dysthymia. Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, it's a very well-researched methodology, tons of research behind it, where the idea really in a nutshell is cognitive, which is the brain, where the process, the cognitive process, the thought process, behavioral therapy. Basically what this means is to identify the core thoughts is built on the premise that any feeling such as depression, anxiety, is built on a core thought and belief. And that core thought and belief is actually what causes your feeling. So the idea here is that we need to identify exactly what the thought is, what the belief is, challenge them, work with them, replace them, and that is basically CBT. And there's, there is tons of research of people that have uh, gotten relief with CBT. Again, depending which C it is, I believe that there will be a variation of how effective CBT will be. That's my opinion. I think some people will disagree with me on that, but that's my take. And again, now CBT is something that generally it's done within therapy with a, with a therapist. You can get one of these health help kind of CBT things, but I find that generally CBT to do it right is usually uh, needs to be done with somebody who specializes in CBT. Now, let's move on to the next one. The next one is really my absolute favorite. I sort of, I, I talked about it a little bit in my podcast, uh, Six on Dysthymia. But the reason I am so, such a fan of this one, firstly, it doesn't need a therapist. It can be done on one's own, alongside a good friend, a family member. The, the coin term that they have created for this kind of therapy is called behavior activation. Everything is a term these days, behavior activation. Uh, basically, in a, this means having the person do activities, get busy. You know, now this is something that's much easier said than done, right? Again, this is where somebody's true, true friend, somebody who really cares about him is going to come into play because that person is going to do whatever it takes to make sure the sufferer gets out of bed and moves and does something, something constructive. So you have a lot of situations where you have teenagers sleeping all day and parents don't know what to do, or even a spouse, and people are at a loss. But what they need to realize is that if you really love someone, sometimes the biggest gesture of love is giving them a good kick in the pants. I gotta tell you. Now listen, don't misunderstand me. I don't mean that the depression sufferer is, he's a lazy, he's a lazy, so don't, so tell him to just cut it out and get out of bed. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. This is, this is serious, and depression is a state, such a state that someone who never experienced it can't fully understand it or appreciate the enormity of it and the impact of it. So that's unfortunately why you have people that have 
this lack of empathy for people some, sometimes you have will come across people that are not educated and they have this lack of empathy for people struggling with this depression and they're like, oh, just let him get out of bed, make a life for himself, right? But whatever it is, this behavior activation tells you, get him or her moving, get them to the gym. Remember the exercise, 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 exercise. We talked about that. It's crucial. Uh, besides the fact that the, you're doing behavior activation with exercise, it's also crucial because of the endorphins that are released, especially for dysthymia. You know, go to the shopping mall, do a chore, and then they'll be like, but I don't feel like it. And then you say back to them, too bad, honey. I love you, so get yourself moving. We're going to do this together. Okay, so that's behavior activation. The list I just gave you is not an exhaustive list, but I'm just highlighting some of the some of the um, ones that I find that are more effective. The upcoming ones, the next one, I'm going to talk about medication. Now, there's a lot of myths out there about uh, medication and stuff like that, and that's another that's another whole whole discussion that we we can have. Medication can be a very, and I'm not going to do it now, um, but medication can be a very useful and valuable option. I can go on and on here. I know there's different people with different orientations. Everybody's entitled to their predisposition. You have people that are very holistic. Some people are, but I just want you to know, whatever it is, there are. it's much more common than you think, and it can often help tremendously sometimes in conjunction with the things we talked about earlier. Now, I repeat that, in conjunction with, not instead of. We're not, I am not advocating popping a pill and leaving it go. It works well together with making the right lifestyle choices and doing what you can do besides to combat the depression. There's two other things I wanna mention that's happening out there, and this is for something that's much more extreme. It's referred to as treatment-resistant depression. There goes the TRD, right? Treatment-resistant depression is sometimes, after trying several different medications or combinations, you come to a point where medication didn't help, nothing helped, they need relief badly. Now, let me stress, <clears throat> people say, I have this all the time, by the way. People come in, oh, I tried medication for years. What would you try? I'm not even sure. They'll list one or two, and I'll be like, that's not called trying medication. But I'm talking about somebody who went to somebody competent, saw through the process, because let me tell you, the process of meds is not always open and shut. There's a, some, there's a lot of trial and error involved. There's a lot of dosaging involved. There's combination uh, medications that can be effective when they're not necessarily would not have been as helpful each one individually so you really need to exhaust it that option but for people that have tried it genuinely tried it they have not gotten the relief that they need to get and they, you know what they say i think they say something like um I don't know. They say like it's up to 30% or some, something like that. I don't know. Something like 30% of people could have this, uh, what they call uh, treatment-resistant depression. 
I'm not convinced it's that high, to be honest with you. That could be just because people are not going to the most skilled practitioners. Either way, regardless, um, there are a couple new things out there. I'm going to throw them out just in case, you know what, maybe this will help somebody that you know. Even if it helps one person, this whole podcast is worth it. Okay, so one thing that they're coming out with now, and, and they've been using it with a lot of success, actually, it's called TMS. It stands for transcranial magnetic stimulation. I'm going to give you a drop of background on this really, really quickly. Uh, they used to have, once upon a time, decades ago, uh, it started back in the, what was it? Back in the back in the 60s or the 70s, um, they had a procedure that was actually quite effective for depression where they would put the person under anesthesia and they would give, literally, I mean, this is not funny, they would give the brain um, electric shocks, certain electric shocks, uh, certain parts of the brain, and they caused a people had a tremendous amount of relief from their depression. Uh, and this was done in the doctor. We're not talking about in, uh, you know, in uh, Frankenstein's basement. We're talking about, you know, this was this was this was state of the art at the time. And what they found was, first of all, it was very invasive. They had to use uh, anesthesia. Number one, number two, people were forgetting. It was causing the side effect that people were actually uh, having some memory loss. So what they did was they took the concept and they changed it a little bit. And instead of using, I'm just giving it to you in a nutshell here, instead of using electric impulses, what they doing, what they did is they took magnets, high, high-powered magnets, like MRI kind of magnets, and um, they used these magnets to give these, to stimulate the brain. So basically what you do is you're going, you go to the center where they have, you know, a special center. Now, mind you, you have had to try all the other things in order to get insurance to pay for it. It's very expensive. It's not your go-to thing. Again, this is only for when it's we're talking about TRD, treatment-resistant. Uh, what they have there set up is like some sort of a, it's like, looks like a helmet, a helmet that's connected to some stuff. You sit down on a chair more or less, I think it's uh, 45, maybe it's 45 minutes, maybe it's 20 minutes, I, I'm not sure myself. And you sit there, you put it on, you don't feel a thing. And they take it off, and they do this for, I think it's an 18-day cycle, I think. And they have been getting a lot of positive results with this, and people are not complaining. They did a lot of, res a lot of clinical tests. People are not getting any... Uh, no reports of memory loss. People are gaining relief. And it's, it seems like it's relatively permanent relief, more or less. You know, sometimes they have to come back for a booster shock or something like that. But, um, but yeah, so it's something that's very, very out there now. And if we're someone you know somebody at that point, definitely um, let them know they can research this a little bit more. The next thing is, and this is really more extreme, but the next thing is we're talking about people that are seriously depressed to the point where they're really suicidal and it's they're simply in a dangerous state and they have not gotten relief or anything. So what they did was they found there's a street drug called ketamine. 
Now, ketamine's been along for a long time. It's a street drug. I think they refer to it as a Special K. <laughs> My goodness, when I was a kid, Special K meant Kellogg's cornflakes were kosher. <laughs> okay, but if you're younger, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about, but that was a big thing, the K on the cereals. Anyways, this ketamine substance, they have seen that it can be very helpful for depression. So what they did was they don't use ketamine, but they have they used it, you know, how they mix the molecules and stuff. So it's a ketamine-based kind of thing. And it's they have turned it into a nasal spray. I don't have it in front of me. I don't know where. Uh, I don't have the name of the exact what was FDA approved. But they did come out with it. It's not something you can pick up in a pharmacy. Again, it has to be done in a center and under close watch. But the thing is that they find that people can get relief. Again, we're talking about seriously suicidal people that need relief, sometimes in about two hours. That's how effective this has been. Uh, you know, with the SSRIs, like we talked about before, we actually I didn't call them SSRIs. I just said medications. I didn't get too much into that. I should have. But the, those medications can take weeks. Um, so this, for people that absolutely need it or are in a dangerous state, this was an option. Okay, the last thing I wanted to mention here, the hour, boy, it's late. Okay, I started talking about the weather, and I said I was going to come back to it. This is something to think about. Okay, try to take notice if the down mood that you're experiencing has any kind of seasonal pattern. You may be surprised. You know, you might be surprised. It might be more of a winter thing. And you may have never thought of it until you really, really sat down to think about it. So, and this has happened. I see this. I've see, I know people like this. Um, if that's the case, there is something out there that they call light therapy. No, it's not some quacky rubbish or something like that. No, it's not. It's 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 a real... It's a real thing. It's a real thing. Light is real. <laughs> it's a real no, but it's a real um, therapy with with some with some good backing behind it, and it's harmless too. I mean, we're talking about a light box, so if you're going to check your lettuce, you know, feel happy. You know, if you're checking it for bugs. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. But anyways, but exposing oneself to bright light can make a difference if you are having this seasonal kind of uh, depression. And, you know, there's a lot to talk about this, uh, why this happens and how this happens and how the light helps and how much to do the lights and stuff like that. If you want to hear, it's late now, so if you want to hear more um, about this or any other other options or any other, anything about my podcast, do me a favor, please email me at sanestorming, sanestorming, S-A-N-E, storming, sanestorming at danielifra.com or therapy at aspire, A-S-P-I-E-R.org. Either of those two emails. I just added the same storming one. I thought it would be easier. So I'm glad, I'll be glad to elaborate help in any way I can. Really, I would. As always, it's been a privilege and a pleasure. Thank you so much for being there and thank you for listening. Bye.